Thanks for tuning in to Just Talking today. I am Steph. I am your coach and your podcast host. I'm here to help give you all the tools that you need to have radical breakthrough to finally give yourself permission to be exactly who you were created to be. I truly believe that when we give ourselves that permission to fully align, everything else will fall in line. The universe answers to that timeline. So if you're ready to have the life that you're created to have, to give yourself all the permission that you need to actually be who you were created to be, then continue to listen to Just Talking. Hi guys, I'm so excited for Just Talking today. Today I have this most amazing, incredible, wise guest with us, and I'm so excited to introduce her to you guys. I got the... the honor of meeting her at Good Things Utah. And we just totally vibed. Totally, I was like, okay, I need to learn everything I know from you. I want to talk to you. I want to be in your space. Like, please, 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 will you be on my podcast? And we're finally here. We're doing this. And I'm so excited. So I have for you, Dr. Alyssa Van Legenvold. I might've said your last name wrong. So I'll let you correct that. Langevold. Did I say that better? No, Langeveld. Oh, okay, <laughs> I'll let you do that. I'm so sorry. Um, she is a professor, a parent expert, and a mom of four. She's also the founder of 10 Minutes Together, where she teaches real parenting skills focused on the power of one-on-one -on -one connection. Alyssa has taught thousands of university students about child development, parenting, and human relationships. She's talking all that about research and distilling it down to the most important stuff to share with you. You guys have to go follow her on her Instagram because she has so much value to share. She talks and she gives you just so much parenting advice and emotional intelligence advice, which I absolutely love. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're really going to dive into a, how to really parent ourselves. Cause we can't really be the best parent unless we're actually resolving our issues with parenting and like understanding what that looks like for us. And then we're going to tap a little bit into emotional resilience and how to build emotional resilience in ourselves. So we can really normalize addressing feelings and having feelings for our children. And this is such powerful work and so beautiful. So Alyssa, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I feel the same way about you. I was so grateful we got to meet on set. Good things, Utah. And I have gone a deep dive into all of your Instagram and what you're teaching. And I love it. Your energy is just contagious. Thanks for having me. Yes. Well, thank you. I'm so excited. And do you, do you prefer to be called doctor or Alyssa? Like No, Alisa. Just call me Alisa. See, I even said your first name wrong. I apologize. It's okay. Uh, so yeah, talk to me a little bit about a why why have you wanted to dive so much into this research and this field, and then talk to us a little bit about what parenting ourselves really looks like. What what does that mean? Wonderful. Okay, I love this content. I get really excited about it. So excited that I never stopped studying it. So after college, which was almost twenty years ago now. Um, I didn't want to stop. So I went to grad school. I studied child development. I studied resilience. I went to, I continued on in grad school and got a PhD. All of these things happened before I even had kids, but it was at the end of my PhD that I had my first, she's 12 years old now. And for that 12 years, I've been teaching at the university, teaching parenting skills, teaching child development, teaching about human relationships. So I feel like all of this content is so exciting to me. It's so powerful and impactful into our lives. And I want to share it with more people. I don't want it to be that you have to go to college and study human relationships in order to have this research and to have this information. And I know that there is so much parenting information out there and that is overwhelming. And so I feel like my role and all the effort that I put into study and research is to distill that down to the most important concepts so that everyday parents can know I am doing a good job because I know I'm hitting on this most important concept. And I will tell you what that is right now. The secret is connection. All of our relationship with our parents, or excuse me, with our children, all of that parent-child relationship, the heart of it is connection, connection one-on-one. -on -one. And that's a lot of what we're going to talk about today in this idea of parenting ourselves. That one-on-one -on -one relationship with our own parents when we were growing up might not have been ideal. 
there likely was conflict. There likely are some unresolved issues because it is in that parent-child relationship that we get our first messages of worthiness, of validation, of acceptance, our self-concept. And if those are complicated, we carry those into adulthood. And then when we parent our own children, we are more likely to repeat those patterns. The number one predictor of how a parent will parent their own children is how they were parented. Unless they identify it and make a deliberate choice to do it different. And identifying and making that deliberate choice is the parenting ourselves piece. What did we miss out on in our own experience? How can we address it and resolve it, make sense of it, so we can make a more deliberate choice for our own children, so we can avoid those pitfalls with our own children. I love everything you're talking about. This is so powerful and so needed. And I feel like I could talk to you for 17 years straight just about all of this. So I want to touch on a couple of things you said. A, connection. That what we're all looking for is connection. And not only as children, but also as adults. Like we're still, all we want is human connection. We want, we want that connection. We want to feel seen. We want to feel loved. We want to feel accepted. So talk a little bit about that, what that looks like to have one-on-one connection with your children. And I love how you explain like the 10 minutes of just connection and especially and I'm sure you find this now, like we're all so busy in this world. And I, I use busy because we all say we're so busy, right? But we we kind of use that as an excuse to not connect with our children or that our connection is watching TV together or our connection is to eat dinner in the car through Chick-fil-A to get to the next place. And so what is connection and what does that look like within 10 minutes? And is that really possible to connect with your ch- children in 10 minutes? Yes, perfect. I love this. Okay, so the heart of the connection is one-on-one attention, focused attention and presence. Mm -hmm. So what that means is every single day, we need to make sure we have a moment where we look at our child, look at them physically. You cannot multitask this. You single task connection and being with your child, look at them. And the mantra that I use is the idea of, I see you, I hear you and what you say matters. Am I sending my child that message? I see you, I hear you and what you say matters. That means I cannot be multitasking. I cannot be looking at my phone when I'm doing this, but even short bursts of this connection time are powerful. So yes, my um, Instagram handle is 10 minutes together. And that is the strategy. 10 minutes, one-on-one, as many days as possible. And that might even feel overwhelming. So if we chop it up into even smaller segments, that's okay because it is the validation and it is the connection that matters. So there are three times during the day, three reunions during the day where we can sprinkle that throughout the day. The one, the first one is when our kids wake up, take three minutes. The minute your kids wake up, the first time you see them stop everything you're doing and give them your full attention for just three minutes. The second is when they come home from school. Stop everything you're doing for three minutes and give them your full attention, hug them, welcome them home, express your care for them. You're happy to see them. Do not multitask this moment. And then the last one is the last minutes before they go to bed, four minutes before they go to bed, sit in their room, tell them you care for them, look at them in the eyes, give them your nonverbal attention as well. One thing that I love in the research is when we talk about how we communicate with our children, we have our verbal messages, the words we're saying, and we have nonverbal messages, which is the way we say it. And it involves so many pieces, facial expression, tone of voice, volume, pitch, proximity, how close or far away we are to our children. What the research shows is that when the nonverbal message and the verbal message do not match, Mm -hmm. the nonverbal one wins every time. So how you say 
what you're saying to your children matters more than what you're saying. And I'll give you a quick example. Yeah. If your kids are coming home from school and you're on your phone and you're, you're busy, you know, sending an email and you say, Hey, welcome home. I'm glad to see you. Check, check, check. No eye contact. Don't give them your attention versus your kids come home, put your phone down, turn towards them, look them in the eye. Hey, welcome home. I'm so glad to see you is a totally different message. So if we just have that really focused effort to connect, even in small doses, it pays off. Another bit of the research that is so impactful that helps me distill down to this most important piece of connection is looking at family systems theory. So family systems looks at the ecology of a family, the pieces in a family that are fitting together, mom, dad, siblings, whomever else is there. Um, What we find is that the one-on-one connection that we call it a dyad in the research, one person to one person is the most powerful connection. And it is not replaced by family connection. Let me say that again. The one-on-one connection cannot be replaced by group family connection. So family time is not enough. It can't be just, we have family dinner together every time, or we have, you know, uh, we meditate together as a family before bedtime. Group time matters, but it does not replace the power of one-on-one time, you and your child, your partner and and your child and your kids together. Their sibling time also creates this really powerful dyad. The group and the family time matters, but it does not replace the one-on-one time. Wow. That's so incredible. And that is just that you just gave us so many tools. And I love how you broke up the 10 minutes throughout the day of having three minutes in the morning, three minutes in the afternoon, and then four minutes before bed. So like, as you're reading a book, and then really having that one on one connection like that, giving that cuddle time and addressing that, like, how was your day? Tell me your favorite thing of the day, just that there's that pure connection. And I, and I love how you're explaining it too, where that's so vital to have that one on one connection and also the family connection, but the one-on-one connection is what's really going to make your child feel loved, seen, heard, accepted, wanted, really create that, that safety that they need in order to go into the world and to, to feel safety and feel trust. So that way they're not like creating more self-sabotage in their life. Cause we're all going to do that at some point, but it really starts with us at home and just to be able to do that and create that emotional awareness and that love and that acceptance, which I think is so key in that, um, and, and you're saying to also spend that that a time one-on-one. So how do you do that with four kids? Because you have four kids. So how are you doing that and splitting up that time? And, and a lot of our audience here and listeners, they all have two to four to five children and then a spouse and then a job and everything else. So how do you do that? Like, what's What are some ways, I guess, to make that happen? Great question. So the first step is to consider yourself. I am a connected parent. I am a 10 minutes together parent. That is about the parent's behavior, not the child. So if you have multiple kids, I have four kids. I approach that as one of my kids will get 10 minutes together every single day. And that is on top of the um, initial reunions. That's on top of the three minutes in the morning, three minutes when they come home from school. But it's a sit down together, focused 10 minutes, doing something together, going on a walk, playing a game, putting together a puzzle, helping me make dinner. Um, So I don't beat myself up that it's not all four kids every single day. That is self-sabotage and not helpful. And remember, it is about the parent's behavior. Evidence of good parenting is in the parent's behavior, not the children's. Mm -hmm. So it is not that I have checked off my list. All of my kids got 10 minutes together today. It is that I was the type of parent that focused and paid attention to my children individually every day. And so the goal for me is if one of my kids has a 10 minute together time, 
I'm feeling like a winner. If two of them get 10 minutes together, I'm even double a winner. On days when all four of them get 10 minutes together, I am like off the charts. And I'll be honest, it's really, really rare for yeah. that to happen. So here are some tips though, to make it easier. I love one that. is to schedule it into times during your day where you naturally have some one-on-one -on -one time. So for example, I have a really early riser. One of my girls gets up at six 30 in the morning, which is before all our sisters. So I take those minutes and I say, Hey, it's you and me right now, instead of me scrolling through my phone or doing anything else, I just take 10 minutes and it's just 10 minutes to be with just her. So check, I can check her off in the day. Yeah. I have a younger little one. She's five years old and she's not in school yet. So when her sisters are at school, I can take that, those moments and I can check that off, make sure that I get those moments when they are there. I'm also not opposed to entertaining your children with other um, activities. Yeah. So you can spend one-on-one -on -one time, let them watch a show for 10 minutes, let them have a Kindle or an iPad for 10 minutes. It's only 10 minutes. Right. And also involve your partner, ask your partner to come in and take care of the other kids. So you can go one-on-one -on -one with one of the children and you can rotate that through and give them that support back where you take the kids so they can go and have one-on-one -on -one time because their one-on-one -on -one relationship also matters. So tag team together so that you each are getting some of that time and all of your kids are getting some of those times. But again, do not think of it as a task list that you have to complete and check, check, check. Everybody got 10 minute time. No, we are a connected family. I am a connected parent. So I'm doing this every day without a goal of I've completed it all entirely. Nope. I just put in the effort every effort counts. If it's not 10 minutes, it still counts. If it's three minutes, it counts. If it's 30 minutes, it counts. It all counts. I love that. When I love all these mantras that you're using too, and saying like, I am a connected parent. I am a 10 minute parent. I am, I am doing this. And that, that in itself just helps you create that intention of like, okay, how can I set this up to work in my schedule? And I love it. I also have a, my youngest is an early riser. And then my oldest, it wants to go to bed later. So we've really incorporated that to be our morning time and nighttime where they each get that alone time. I take them on dates once a week because that's really important for me, especially I'm a divorced parent. So I only have my kids 50-50. And so it's so much more important. I mean, not that it's not important in all times, but to really harness that and to really make sure that they feel that connection and that safety and to be heard and to be seen. And I, and I think that's becoming more common now, but as we grew up as... Like I didn't have that kind of, my mom was a great mom, but like, it wasn't, that wasn't so common for us to try to focus on that or to create that aspect and to create that connection. And, um, and I love what you're saying too, to be able to have that connection just once a day with your children with that. So that way we're not like focusing and making this like so task oriented where it's not even actually being connected. You're just like, I have to, I have to cross this off so I can feel like I'm a good mom. And then that also, when you're spending this 10 minutes together, I feel like that relieves all this like mom guilt that we all pressure ourselves with. And we say like, oh, I'm not a good mom because I didn't do this, this, and this, whatever it may be. Do you find with your clients that you're helping them also to realize like that mom guilt and removing that shame and that kind of detoxing that self-sabotage behavior by creating this 10 minutes and just scheduling it and harnessing it and truly connecting with it? Yes, absolutely. And I feel like addressing that mom guilt is at the heart of changing any behavior that recognizing there is something that you can do, because I know for myself and for the moms that I talk to, when we hear parenting information, it comes from so many different places and there's so much out there that it's just overwhelming. So before we even start, we already feel overwhelmed, which is why I've wanted to distill this down to like one actionable focus. And the focus is on connection. And I want to add some research that touches yeah. on what you just talked about. Um, growing up in a family where there's shared time in, in yeah, two households, there's research on this as well as research on working moms. So there is a, a 
a risk for women to feel guilty that they are not with their children more, either because they have you know shared time in different households or because they're working. What the research shows is that that time away from your children does not have a negative impact on them. Wow. If, if they have this secure, connected relationship. And you can get this secure, connected relationship in small doses of time. You do not need all the time together, all the days, all hours of the day to create this. You need small doses of high quality connection. Children who have women, mothers that work do just as well as children who have mothers who stay home. Children who share time in different households do just as well as children who um, live in the same house with both of their parents if they have this secure connection to their parents. Wow, that is so powerful. That gave me chills. And I love what you're saying. If they have the secure connection, because that does, that's what's creating that security and that safety and that trust and that our own, if we don't feel safe within ourselves growing up as children, then that turns into self-sabotaging behavior as adults. And then that carries into our relationships, into, into our marriage or into whoever our partners are, whatever that looks like, because we haven't created that safety at home. Um, I'm in yoga school right now. We talk a lot about like the chakras and I don't know what your belief is about chakras, but it's been really powerful to see like within our sacral chakra. So that's created from the ages of zero to six. And if we don't have that safety, that trust, that security, that emotional attachment, and we haven't felt that love, what that turns into in adulthood. And so we're always looking for external ways to feel I'm safe, I'm wanted, I'm needed, I'm valued. And I want to be accepted because we never received that at a young age. And from what I'm hearing from you and how I'm connecting this is again, this kind of goes back with, with everything, like everything universal alignment with that is like, okay, yeah, that does align with our chakras. That does align with this emotional awareness that does align with connection. And, and we need this, like we, this is such a need is just to have that, that pure connection. And we see how that carries out into adulthood. Like, I mean, even I just want like 10 minutes of undivided attention with like my boyfriend or with whoever I'm speaking to, like, just pay attention to me for, I just want five minutes of your time. Like, and then we feel so loved and that, that, that carries on into so much and you feel, you feel secure, you feel safe. So I'd love if you could touch on like what your, your philosophy or your theory is on kind of packing that up together, I guess. Oh, I love what you're saying. And everything you're saying completely aligns with what the academic research shows on human relationships. And when I see that happening, I feel like that is where we know that truth is out there because there are all these different fields and different venues by which we are hearing the same message. And the message is security. And the message is connection and connection in that one-on-one -on -one relationship, particularly with your parent. So I'll tell you what, what's in the research. I'll explain what yes, you just said yes, with the chakras, which I'm that. all in for that as well, yes, yes. but I will use the research. But I love it. research. You're, you're like Brene Brown. Like I just like, you're amazing. And I love that. You totally are my own personal Brene Brown right now. Cause like you're applying research with emotional intelligence and safety. And you're like, you're like her and Mel Robbins put together. You're like the perfect person of all time. Oh, perfect. Thank you. I take that compliment with all gratitude. Oh, yeah. I love that. I love both of them. Okay, good. Okay, so the number one theory in all of parenting research that has been perpetuated and found to be true over and over and over again is attachment theory. Yeah. Attachment theory says that when we are born, we attach to our primary caregiver. Typically, that's our mother. And that happens in the first year of life. And we create a pattern of attachment, meaning it's we're likely to anticipate how our parent will, will respond to us. Um, it comes through this needs arousal cycle. First, a child has a need, a baby has a need. They're cold, they're hungry, they're tired, they're startled. They then move along the cycle to express that need. They cry, they grumble, something, some way to express that. And then we hit a fork in the road in the cycle. The parent can either respond or ignore 
that expression of a need. For a parent who ignores the baby's hungry, tired, or can't read the baby's cues of what they want, maybe they need to be changed, maybe they need to be picked up, then the child learns that my needs aren't always met in this world. The world is an inconsistent place. I get ignored. And what we, we can see in that kind of a pattern is the child might stop expressing their needs. They might cry less mm-hmm. or they can't be soothed once they're crying because they're just not used to somebody meeting their needs. And that shifts towards what we would categorize in the research as an insecure attachment pattern. The child is insecure that the world is a place where I will be cared for and my parent will care for me. There are two styles of insecure attachment, insecure avoidant, which is the message of, I don't care. I don't need you. I don't need anyone. I'm just going to stop crying. I don't even need my parent. I can just manage this myself. A lot of harsh parenting techniques shift towards this strategy. When we ask our babies to self-soothe before they're ready to do that, or our older children to self-soothe before we're ready to do that, Mm -hmm. we develop patterns of, I can't really rely on people to help me meet my needs. So I'm going to stop needing people, or at least convince myself I don't need people. Yeah. And then you go into blossom to be able to receive yourself and to have love and to feel trusted and to feel wanted. Cause you're like, I don't need anybody. So what good are you? And you're just always pushing people away when in reality, you're like, no, I need people. I want love. I want security. And to me, like in within, I totally was like that for a long time where I was so stuck in my masculine with that. And I didn't realize I was in that. And I pushed people away. So I was like, I don't need anybody. I can do everything on my own. Like, and I want to let myself cry. I want to let myself like fully embrace feelings. If I started to cry, I would like bite my cheeks or like pinch myself. So I would stop crying. Like even in a movie that was like the notebook, I'm like, Nope, I can't cry. I'm that's weakness. Like, don't do that. And I realized that that created a lot of different like codependency within me from that attachment style. Um, so I love what you're seeing with that. And I'm sorry, I kind of cut you off, but so continue with that. If well, you- with exactly what you're saying. So these patterns tend to perpetuate themselves as a child grows. So even right. into adulthood, that pattern that was established in the first years of life tends to perpetuate. And the reason is a child then approaches the world anticipating that nobody's going to take care of me. And then the reaction to the other people around them, like the first time that usually happens is when a child goes to daycare or maybe to a play date or maybe to school. And so a child with an insecure avoidant attachment would approach their teacher as, I don't need you. I don't need anything. And the teacher probably is going to see that child as totally fine, doesn't reach out, doesn't have the same care and connection. And so the child then sees, see, I'm right. Right. Nobody's going to take care of me. Nobody sees me. Nobody cares. I just have to take care of myself. So these perpetuate. So that's the first style, that insecure avoidant. Yeah. The second insecure style is called insecure anxious, which is really clingy that I can't trust that you're going to take care of me. So I'm going to cling on to you so that I don't risk losing you, or I don't risk not getting my needs met. I'm going to just stay present with you and cling to you. And yeah. you can see that in children. You can see that in adulthood too. Yeah. So that child then goes to daycare or a play date or to school and is clingy to their teacher, which right. might be overwhelming for the teacher who then might need to have some distance or I need to take care of the other children. And so the child again has that message confirmed to them. I can't trust that my teacher's now going to meet my needs. And that's what the world is like for me. Nobody's going to take care of me. Mm -hmm. And then there's a third insecure style, which is disorganized attachment, which is just no pattern, a completely inconsistent parent. And the child just doesn't even know how to make sense of the world. So those are all the attachment styles that we kind of have to have work through and manage totally. with our children and in adulthood, but there is a gold standard and it is the secure attachment style. Yeah. So the secure attachment style is this idea that the child has a need, expresses its need. The parent responds and meets that need, comforts the child, um, changes their diaper, feeds them. The child is soothed. And in that soothing, they learn to trust. 
They learn to trust that the world is a safe place. When I have needs, I can share those needs and people will take care of me. And they have this pattern of experiencing that with their parents. And that secure attachment is the gold standard. That's what we're going for. We only, we not only want that for our children, but we want that as adults, yes. as adults through doing the work, through yes. our coaching, through our therapy, through our self-awareness, we can move from an insecure attachment style to what's called an earned secure attachment style that I have come to accept my natural tendency to think I don't need people or to cling on to people and recognize I can trust. I can expect people to meet my needs. I can ask for the things that I need and I can expect my needs will be met. That's hard work, but it so is hard. worthwhile and it can happen. So yeah. what has happened to us in the past, the parenting and the, and the unresolved issues we might have from our own parented experiences, they stick with us but they do not mean we can never change. They do not mean that we can't come to a secure, connected relationship with all of the relationships in our lives and our children. Yes. But we'd have to do the work. I love so that. we do well for our children to present to them this secure attachment, to present to them this connection, this focus, this validation yes. from the beginning so that they just get to rise up into this world of secure attachment. I know the world's a safe place. I know I can express my needs. I know they'll be met. I know people care for me. And it all started with the way my mother, my mother would treat me. I love that. That would, oh, that's so beautiful. And that's so powerful. And to really, to be focusing on that and working on that, because we see if we're not what that turns into in adulthood and like in ourselves. And I've had to do a lot of work, therapy, coaching, like really allow myself to understand my emotions are valid. I do have needs. That doesn't make me weird to have needs. It's okay for me to express my needs. It's okay for me to cry. It's okay for me to feel my emotions. It's okay to, for me to trust people and like allow people in and receive love and not feel unworthy of love and to have that self-love. And and without that, then we turn it, if we're not doing that work, that turns into like codependency, this clinginess, this over, like, you're going to abandon me, you're going to abandon me. So like, I need to control everything that you're doing. So you can't abandon me. So when we see this in all these different styles in relationships, if that's friendships, romantic, and obviously within parenting, until we are willing to sit and do the work and have that recognition, like you're saying, to become aware of like, okay, I, this doesn't feel maybe the most healthy, like, how could I make this to be more healthy? How could I make this to be more loving where, where I feel seen and heard and my children feel seen and heard and their needs do matter. And then we're, we're creating that, that safety for them. Cause that's also going to change how they show up in their relationships in the future. And then how they parent and then what they feel not only that, but like even in a working relationship, like you're, if you have these attachment styles, you're going to be okay with some boss being totally rude to you, taking advantage of you because you're like, yeah, this is what I'm used to. Like, this is how people are. This is what, this is what this shows up in the world. And, but what I love is, you know what? We can fix this. Like it, this doesn't have to be like, this is how it is. Just because we learned one thing doesn't mean that we can unlearn that. We can, we can unlearn anything and we can relearn anything if we're willing to do the work and if we're willing to sit in it. And so let's say, how, how would you help a parent through this where they're like, okay, yeah, I totally see some of these patterns in myself. And I, I recognize some of these behaviors were what I grew up with. And I don't want to pass this programming down to my children. And I also want to want to reprogram myself with this belief so I can be more open and receiving in my current relationship or whatever that may be for them. How would they, what would you tell them to start with? Like what, with that connection with that understanding so they can see what this is? Like, what would you, I guess, how would you do? propose that. Great question. Okay. So the one-on-one -on -one connection time, the together time, that is the number one strategy for the parent-child relationship, but for the parent to parent themselves, mm -hmm. the strategy is to retell your story. So think that. back to your story of childhood and retell that story until it makes sense. Don't ignore it. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't deny 
the truth of what happened to you. And here is the, the technique. The technique is make the implicit explicit. So implicit is the idea of implied emotions, sensations, ideas that are kind of abstract. And explicit means make them concrete, make them clear. And this comes from the, the field of neurobiology. So your brain science. So let's talk for just a second about our brains. On the right side of our brain, the right hemisphere of our brain um, picks up information from our environment that is largely sensory emotional and abstract. So if you think back to your childhood and you can think about times where things felt strange or they felt off, or it felt like your mom was upset or that you weren't good enough, but it's a feeling that you might not be able to label. You might not be able to explain why that is an unresolved issue because there's a feeling, there's an implicit sensation that you can't make sense of that makes it an unresolved issue. So the left side of our brain is where we do more concrete thinking, more language processing, more explicit um, planning and direction. So the goal is make the implicit explicit. So take those feelings and those sensations, filter them through the left side of your brain to tell the story. So what that might look like was, I remember when I was a child feeling like I was always in the way. So the feeling, like articulate that feeling that might not be something, the feeling is there, but you might not have ever said it out loud. So I remember as a child feeling like I was express that, right? Cause we're not, we're not really trying to, I don't think we were all really taught how to express that emotion. Like, what is it that you're feeling? Like, oh, well, I feel uneasy. I feel anxiety. I feel nervous. I feel like something's off, but that, I don't know what that is. And so then you're, you're almost helping people even change their language to understand that there's more words that they can use and more ways to express that and to really get in tune with what is this feeling? And have you felt this feeling before? Like, what does this feeling look like? Um, I, I know I just kind of cut you off with that, but how do you help um, adults to understand what those feelings are or to articulate that better when they're like, I don't know, it was just like this uneasiness, I'm not sure. And because they haven't really been able to dive into that. Great. Okay. So the focus is on this idea of telling your story, but you have to tell your story in a concrete way. Okay. So what that means is get a journal and start writing it down. And you'll probably write several drafts of the same story, the same situation, or get a coach who will walk you through these strategies or find a therapist that will help you tell this story over and over again, because you have to filter it through your language, write it down or say it out loud. It cannot just sit in your head as ideas or feelings or sensations. You have to make that implicit explicit. And then what you just talked about gets to the second half of um, our topic today, which is emotional resilience. So embracing our emotional resilience as adults involves three steps. Okay. One, you have to see it. You have to build up your self-awareness to recognize I'm having a feeling. And then what is that feeling? And that's step two, label it. What is that feeling? In the research, we talk about primary level emotions, happiness, sadness, fear, disgust, anger. But there are a myriad of secondary emotions, shame, um, uneasiness, guilt, embarrassment. There's so many other emotions. So build up your emotional vocabulary. Instead of just saying, I'm mad. Well, what are you mad about? Well, I'm actually mad because I feel disrespected or I'm really sad. Well, what are you sad about? Well, I actually feel embarrassed and, yeah. and build up that emotional vocabulary. So one, see it, recognize you're having an emotion Two, label it, build your emotional vocabulary, your awareness of it. And when you're building that emotional vocabulary, that is where you're making the implicit explicit. There's some feelings, there's some sensations. What is it? Call it by name. And then three, validate it. All emotions are valid, all of them. 
anger, sadness, disgust, hatred, they are all valid. We do not need to squash any of those feelings. Now, there are definitely limits on our behavior and the way we act when we feel those feelings. And that is part of emotional resilience and learning how to process those feelings. And that is part of what we teach our children as well. But they're all emotions are valid. Let yourself recognize and validate that emotion and then make a choice on what you're going to do with that. And some of those emotions have no concrete resolution. So when we're retelling the stories of our childhood, I felt like I was always in the way. Recognize, and that made me feel shamed or unworthy that I wasn't worthy to be in my parents' presence or they didn't want to pay attention to me. That felt terrible. And there's probably not a lot you can do to change that. The history of your story is not going to change. Telling your parents about that experience may or may not be beneficial. So then the whole point is to recognize it, experience it, and accept it. So be it. So be it. My parents treated me in such a way that I felt like it was in the way. That super sucked. But it is what it is. And I can still move on and be strong. I recognize that I am worthy. I have earned my security as an adult. All of those other pieces. So see it, label it, validate it, let it go. I love love that you have like simplified all this data, all this research, all this awareness, and you've really made it where it's like so applicable and so easy. And you're like, okay, just see it, label it, validate it. And then going back to how to connect with our children and saying like, I see you, I hear you, I'm with you, I love you and expressing that. And I love how you're able just to articulate that in a way that it's like, why am I not doing this? It seems so easy, right? But it's also part of that being willing to, to recognize this behavior and then wanting to do the work to change it. And that is the hard part is the application, that integration part of it. Um, and I want to touch on that too a little bit is even as you're going back through these stories with your with your own parenting, it's uh, it's not to blame your parents because they only know what they knew at that time. Right. And we can't, we can't blame them. So like you said, even having that conversation with them, it may be beneficial or it may not be, but it's really taking that ownership. Like, okay, I'm owning, like, this is the story. This is my interpretation of the story. This was my experiences, my emotions. This is what, how I'm processing it. But now what do I, how do I want to move from that? Like, what is it that I want to learn from this? And then what is it that I want to teach my children from this? Or how do I become aware of this? So that way I'm not making my children feel the same way, or I'm dismissing them, or I'm yelling at them, or I'm not making their needs heard and validated. And so with that, it's never, so I think some people get, they're like, well, I don't want to go back to therapy and do this work and just be mad at my parents. It's like, no, that's, then you're not really doing real therapy. Cause what you're doing is you're just, you're passing blame. What you're doing is, is looking at this and accepting this and then deciding to make a choice. Like now I recognize it, what's going to be the next step for me and how am I going to choose to go into this? And so I love like that you touched on that. And I just wanted to touch, I think it's important to say like, we're not blaming parents because we only know what we know. And then it's, it's that, but you get to make a choice because then once you're aware of it and you keep just still keep choosing to live in that old story, that's on you. And you're not taking the movement to, 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 to change within that, right? I don't know, how Perfect. do you feel about that? I love what you're saying. And I want to point out um, exactly what you're saying, but what, what that really is saying is the emotion is not the end result. Mm-hmm. Feeling mad at your parents is not the end of the work. Right. It might be part of the work right. and it's okay for you to feel mad at your parents, but that is not the end of the work because right. then you have to do something about it. And if you can't let the madness go, acknowledge that it's there, but let the madness, madness go, you're stuck. Mm-hmm. You're stuck with an unresolved issue. And there are many strategies to work on letting that mad feeling go, but just feeling the madness is not the end of the work. So if that's where you're at, you still have work to do and that's okay. Just dive in and do the work. And I want to say second thing, this is from the research that came up when you were talking, it's about the importance of perception. Mm -hmm. So what the research shows is in relationships, 
the perception of what is happening is more important than what is actually happening. And what that means is if I perceive that I was in the way when I was a child, that is my story. Whether or not my parents actually did anything to make me feel that way doesn't matter because my story, my lived experience was that I felt like I was in the way. So that perception is key. That is key for ourselves. That is key for our own children. So when we see that our children are feeling like, hey, you don't pay enough attention to me, whether or not it's true, whether or not you can catalog, oh, I just was paying attention to you. I did 10 minutes together. I looked at you and, and gave one-on-one -on -one time when you came from school. That doesn't matter as much as their perception. And so the, tr the strategy there is validate their perception. You felt like you've been ignored. I don't want you to feel ignored. Now let's move forward. The emotion is just the middle ground. The action, the behavior, what we do after we recognize the emotion, that is the end of the work. That is moving on. I love that. And so with that, would you invite your children to help you say like, okay, well, what would make you feel hurt? So you're helping them be part of the solution rather than making yourself feel like, okay, well, I need to, I just have to do all this stuff for you now. I, like, so how would you, what would be your advice with that? So two, two strategies there. Number one, do nothing. All you do is validate their emotion. So when they say, I feel like you don't have time for me, then you say to them, I do not want you to feel like I don't have time for you. You are the most important thing to me. I love being with you. And that's it. Just validate their emotion. Just being seen and validated and heard is often enough yes. because that is what we really want. We want the world. We want people to see us. I see that you feel ignored. I see that. I hear you. What you say matters. So that's the first strategy just validate and do nothing. Second strategy is what you brought up. Brainstorm together. What am I doing that's making you feel like you're ignored? How could I better show you that you are a priority to me and you matter because you do matter to me. So if there's something different I can do, let's talk about it and let's do that together. Um, for a younger child, you wouldn't be able to do that. They likely aren't able to come up with some concrete reasons. So then you would just say, I'm really sorry you feel that way. I don't want you to feel like you are not important to me. I will do a better job. And then build, bring that awareness to your behavior. But really the number one strategy there is just to validate the emotion. Just see it. I see you. What you say matters. I don't get defensive because you're telling me that things aren't going perfectly. I don't need to um, change your mind. I don't need to convince you that you're wrong for feeling that you get to feel that feeling and that is enough and it's okay. I love that. Well, I think that's so powerful with that is that you just need to validate, just let them be seen, let them be heard. And then to not take that on ourselves and then try to change their interpretation or change their feeling or their emotion just to make us feel better as a parent. Cause I think that's what we often do out of our ego, whether we're aware of that or not is to say like, Oh wait, that means I'm being a bad parent. So let me change your thought process on this. Let me hurry up and fix this. When you're saying like, Hey, we can just validate this. We can let them be seen. We can let them be heard. And that's so that's truth. And that's just a universal truth. Like even as adults, we just want to be seen, heard and validated in any moment. It's like, okay, yeah, I actually feel better. Like how often do you have a conversation with your spouse where it seems like way bigger than it was. And then you're just heard, you're validated, you're accepted, you're seen, maybe you have a hug at the end. You're like, well, actually, I, I feel so much better. That's really all I needed. Thank you. Like, and it's the same yes. with children. And that's what we're all craving is connection to be seen, to be accepted, to be loved for, for who we are, what we're feeling, what we're expressing. And I love that you're teaching this in such beautiful, powerful ways that have research that everything that you've been able to put together, and then you're simplifying it for us and helping us and creating just this beautiful space of emotional awareness and connection and safety. And it's what we all need and, and more now than 
ever as we all experienced last year and, and now we're all kind of figuring it out this year but so i love that you're teaching this where can our listeners who are hearing this i know we talked a little bit briefly before we jumped on that you're going to have this awesome um course that you're going to help guide people through this where how can people sign up to join that with you um and just be part of your brilliance and to learn how to adopt these skills Thank you. So find me on Instagram. That's my number one social media platform that I use. And the handle is 10 minutes together, 10, the number 10 minutes together. And then I'll be announcing the workshop there. Um, and what I'm going to cover in the workshop is really these core foundational issues, secure attachment, one-on-one -on -one time. And so we set this framework of these are the things you really need to know in your parenting. And then you can go on and do the rest and let the guilt go and know that you can go about your day because you've done the good work already. Love that. That's so beautiful. So powerful. And do you take like one-on-one -on -one clients who would want to work with you? They're like, okay, I heard this and I, I need you. I want to learn how I could figure out some more parenting skills or just recognize I want to be better with that parenting. Do you do that? Or what does that look like? Right now I'm just doing group coaching. So okay. sign up through the workshop and the workshop will have some group coaching. And then after the workshop, which is about six weeks, um, we could expand onto one-on-one -on -one coaching. If there are some people that are interested in that. Yeah, amazing. Well, you guys all heard, you guys felt this. I felt this thing. I took, I was writing a thousand notes as you were speaking. So thank you so much for just taking the time out of your day to give us this beautiful gift of awareness and how we can share and how we can better our relationships not only with our children but also with ourselves and with every other person we have a relationship with because it really does start within and then we get to give that and i just love this connection and i'm totally going to adopt the three minutes in the morning afternoon and the four minutes in the evening i think that's just so great and i loved just your concepts of being able to see it label it validate it and really helping them dive into that and and also as a reminder with that too you talked about we can go through and change that story by by writing it and addressing it. And so you gave us so many huge key tools and I have so many takeaways and I'm sure our listeners do too. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you so, so much. I'm so excited for your course coming up that people get to join and everything else that you're doing and offering. And you guys can also watch her on Good Things Utah. Make sure you guys go follow her on Instagram so you guys can get in, in the know of all of that. And thank you again so much for all of your beautifulness today. It was just so powerful. So thank you, thank you. Thank you. I love being in your space. There's so much energy here. Thank you. Thank you. Guys. I received that. Thank you guys. If you love this episode, please go share it on Instagram, tag us so we can reshare that. Um, if you have any awesome notes or you want to send us a DM of what your biggest takeaway was, we'd love to hear from you. Have the best day. We love you.